The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. You're listening to the Master Wildlife Filmmaking Podcast, Episode 4. This episode, I'm talking with director, writer, and owner of Mariposa Productions, Ali Alvarez. London-based, LA-raised, and Mexico-born, Ali's covered some geography, and she says that she strives to make films and write stories that truly connect to this world we all live in. From butterflies bringing hope, to coming back from a life-changing accident, to an inner-city community making their voice heard. Life is serious at times, but it also offers up so much beauty to make a great film or story that moves an audience. And these are the ones that Ali wants to tell. After graduating with honours from the Arts Centre College of Design in Pasadena, California, Ali moved to London, England in 2002 to work on her career as a creative director in advertising. Previously, she had been a professional show jumper. It was in 2009 that Ali had a serious horse riding accident and suffered a traumatic brain injury. It meant a two-week loss of memory, learning to walk again and learning to write again, basically starting over. It was this accident that made Ali give up her day job to pursue making her latest film, Muerta es Vida, or Death is Life. Thank you, Ali, for joining me on the show this week. Um, great to have you here and talk about your, your film. Um, first of all, just tell us a little bit about your film. Okay, so the title of my film is Muerte es Vida, which is Death is Life. And it's about, um, it's about people who see monarch butterflies when someone has passed away. So it's, it's the backbone of the film is this connection the monarchs have in Mexico, which they arrive in Mexico when they migrate. They arrive during um, Day of the Dead and they're thought to be the souls of your family coming back to visit you. And the film is about people who see them on the way down when someone's passed away and the kind of hope that nature brings to them at a really sad moment. Great, and it, it's a um, it's a beautiful film. I actually watched it last night, and um, it's got a lovely pace to it and fantastic visuals. Um, tell me uh, a little bit about what inspired you to make the film, and um, you know how you got into filmmaking in the first place. I guess the way I, the reason I got into filmmaking is um, just this need to tell stories and um, and connect with people. And the first I made a short as my first film, and that was based on um, Ohio, this like uh, charity that was driving inner city communities to, to vote. It's called I, Vote, I Voted Today, and it was about people who couldn't get to the polling stations when Obama was trying to get elected, and that was a big thing in that swing state. And um, it was about this guy who was driving people to the polling stations, and it's it's all about that. And I just, I just wanted to help. I just was like, I'm gonna drive a van, and I thought, Oh, and that would make a cool film. Like I'll be in a van with like all these people and I could just turn the camera around and ask them like why they're voting and, and it actually I'm so proud of that film. So that inspired that first film. I wasn't planning to make a film, I was just gonna go drive a van. But then the butterfly film 
um, I saw the butterflies and um, was so completely blown away that I kind of got obsessed with researching them. And then I found this Day of the Dead link. And then I found this story about, um, one of the stories in the film is, the, is this detective at Ground Zero who was cleaning up after 9-11. And in his search for the black box, he like saw like hundreds of these butterflies on the site. And um, I just thought, well, that's really weird, like that and the Day of the Dead connection. And it made this really cool story in my head. And that's what started it, really. And then I wasn't setting out to be a filmmaker. <laughs> so, like, I just wanted to tell this story. And then all of a sudden, here I am at a festival, and I've made a film, and it looks good, and people like it. And I guess I'm a filmmaker, but it's more about the story, I think, to me. So that's a great uh, thing you brought up there, Ali, where uh, you didn't really set out to make a film, the, the original one, uh, the short one about Obama and people voting. Um, I think that, you know, what I try and do is inspire people just to get out with the camera and film what's around them and start to build stories and, uh, and, and see what they make and, and kind of get an idea for how the whole process works. And I think it's great that your, your first film was like that. Um, but you have more of a story, I think, from, uh, you know, what made you actually make this this, this butterfly movie, this uh, Death is Life. Um, can you tell us a little more about that? Yeah, okay. So so I saw these butterflies eight years ago. I was totally obsessed. I wrote the idea for this film, and then I got busy with this. I had a career in advertising, and I think anyone listening to this will know that you just get caught up with like the day job, right? <laughs> and paying the bills and doing the things you think you need to do. And you know, years went by and I was still talking about this film. Like everyone that knew me in this time was like the flipping butterfly film still like, and I was like wanting to make it, but just didn't do it. I just didn't make that step to do it. And then um, three years ago, I had a horse riding accident and um, I was out riding because I do, I've always ridden and um, the horse fell down and I, I came off and I hit my head and I got a really serious brain injury. And that kind of marked, I think that's when this film began, to be honest, because I lost my memory for a week and I was in the hospital for a month and I had to like relearn how to like walk and talk and write. And, and then I came out of the hospital and I came home and um, I got one memory back and that was filming myself for Kickstarter to raise money for this film. And um, I was like, that's got to be a sign, A, that I've got to make this film, <laughs> like if that's the one thing my brain kind of held on to in that horrible period. And then I just shifted my life, like that was the point that like went right. I just gave up the career in advertising and I focused on making this film and I didn't make any money for three years and I just literally just like made, you know, did everything I could to make this film. I was lucky enough to have a partner who could support me, but a lot of ego goes with that too, like does not pulling in the cash that you used to and like not making any money at all and making a film that you don't know if anyone's gonna like want to watch but but I just had to do it and I think that's you know I don't wish anyone listening to this to have to go through something like that to like change what you're doing but something will kick you up the ass to do what you love or to do a project that you want to make and like listen to it just really listen to that. Yeah, I think that's a, a super important uh, message right there that really there's never the right time. I mean, if you have a story you want to tell, 
um, the, the, the right time is now, you know, just move forward with it. And it and unfortunately sometimes takes those life events to really kind of kick us up the butt and say, you know, do, do what you want to do, make it happen. And um, yeah, that's an incredible, incredible story. Um, you touched a little bit there on uh, your first memory coming back was making your Kickstarter video. Um, can you just talk a little bit about the funding for the film, your Kickstarter project, and also any other money that you may have raised for it. How did you actually fund the project? The, the ever, the huge question for any documentary filmmaker. Um, so I did put it on Kickstarter, and my biggest piece of advice on, so the money, I'll start. So I, I put put my project on Kickstarter to raise money for it. And um, I tried to get the word out to butterfly groups and, you know, Mexico Day of the Dead groups, but to be honest, like the money that came from my film came from people that I know and everyone that I'd worked for and like in advertising and that my own personal community. And I think that's the thing to be realistic about when you put your project on Kickstarter, unless you've done a lot of background on, on strangers that are into the one thing you're doing a thing about. Like the money will come from people that know you and that believe you and want to help you make this project that in my case I was talking about for flipping years so and then <laughs> Kickstarter is amazing so I had the chunk of money that I used that to get through the filming and then because of Kickstarter I was connected directly to backers and they then I went back to the big backers and asked them for money for post-production outside of Kickstarter so then I was able to just raise funds privately so, but Kickstarter is amazing <laughs> I mean, what an amazing tool and I think it's just um, oh and I should say uh, this is really important for people to know. Like, so the first time I put it on Kickstarter, I had this like ridiculous target <laughs> of a hundred grand, right? And I didn't come anywhere near that. But I got, I got forty, and I was like, okay, there's forty grand out there. But because of Kickstarter, if you don't hit your target, you don't get it. So I was like, uh, <laughs> I can do the film on forty. <laughs> but um, so then I, I was like, right. So it showed me the kind of backing I could have, and then. Um, I'll put it right back up there, like right back up there, recontact everyone, and I put it up for 35 the second time, and then I got like 39. So, so I think if you don't get it that first time, you know how much you are able to raise, and then like keep, you know, do it again, adjust it, and do it again. That's uh, that's awesome. I mean, that that is one of the the biggest um, issues I see with people using Kickstarter. Obviously, that you <clears throat> you know, if you aim too high and you don't get it, you don't get any money at all. And of course, there other are other uh, crowd funding um, options out there, like Indiegogo, uh, and they do allow you to keep any money you've made. But you know, you've got to make sure that you can actually get somewhere and create a product on that money. Otherwise, really, you're just taking people's money and spending it and and not coming up with the goods but um that was great you were able to get those backers back again the second time and, and raise the money um can you tell us a bit about some of the challenges that you faced during production uh, i think um as filmmakers we we faced different challenges and even some of the same challenges every time we head out to make a you know a new project um what kind of challenges did you face uh during production um, during production, um, well, because so I yeah I raised that money on Kickstarter, but the majority of that money went to just traveling to where because I'm in London and this was in North America and it was like expensive to get there, so all that money went to just mostly traveling, and 
I didn't have money to actually pay a camera person or a sound person. I had I budgeted enough to like cover their rent for for the time we were away. But that also meant I couldn't lock down crew because if a paying job came up, they had to take it, right? So it was literally like I had booked my ticket and then like a booked camera person like two days before we were supposed to go, you know, and then she couldn't go, but she like got her friend to like take it. And um, so that was, that was a challenge. There was, that was really made me uneasy, but you know, that's what you do when you don't have the money. You just have to really be flexible and like, like wing it a little bit and just have faith that the right people are going to come in at the right time. Um, one, one funny story is, so I met the Mexican character. I met him in February for the first time. And I said, I would love to come back for Day of the Dead with you. And like, can I, can I film with you? And he was like, yeah, yeah, we would love that. Come back. And I was like, okay. He lives in this little community in Mexico. And I was like, I'll be back on this mountain like for Day of the Dead. I'll see you in November. So, you know, about a year goes by. Me and the camera girl and the sound guy and the kit, we all go out there and we go to this mountain. <laughs> His wife's like, oh, he got a job this week. <laughs> and I was like, oh, shit. Like, here I've got, like, like, you're not a big crew, but my little crew, and, like, we've come out here, and, like, he's not here. And then I was like, what should I do? Should I, like, offer to pay him the money he's making so he can stay at home this week and then that's so unethical right that's like not how you make documentaries <laughs> so I was like okay we're not doing that and then maybe the film should be about his wife and then but then um I went home that night and I just emailed the insurance and the camera rental were like the big expenses and I just emailed them and said guys like the guy that I came here to film like isn't here this week but he's here next week like how much I've said I said I've got 500 quid left <laughs> like you can have 250 and you can have 250 and can I have the stuff for another week I just thought I might as well just ask and they were like yeah just keep it keep it's fine they were like because 250 for these guys is nothing so they were like just keep it stay another week get what you need and um and that was that was a pretty good production moment I think yeah you, I mean, there are always challenges through productions, but it's always really nice to be able to reach out to people. And uh, and I think as filmmakers, <clears throat> you, you're talking about the crew and not having money to, to fund a crew and just having to book them last minute. Um, you know, as filmmakers, we all want to be out there kind of creating as well and doing our craft. And um, if it means helping others out and doing, you know, a bit of pro bono work here and there, then um, it, I think it moves us all towards our own goals as well. So in terms of uh, having made two films now, one smaller film and one longer film, are you now looking at, as a, a, at a career in filmmaking in general? Are you moving on to other projects? Or uh, are you now just gonna see how, how it goes with this one? Um, and, and move on from there? Hmm, uh, I mean, I, I definitely want to make more films. I've caught the bug. I love it. I absolutely love it. I come from a background of advertising and like telling stories in 30 seconds seems really ridiculous now. <laughs> I love the long form storytelling. Um, so I've got a couple that um, I'm trying to, or that I am developing, but I've got, what's really itching inside right now is this uh, I'm writing a book about my brain injury because um, when I was recovering, I was trying to find something to um, read, like to help me understand what was going on or let, just find someone that had it too. And I couldn't find anything 
that was helpful at all. So I'm writing it. <laughs> I'm writing a book for people with brain injuries. And I know that's, again, a very small audience, <laughs> like my film probably, but um, but I think it's like it's needed. I think I think you, yeah, that's how I kind of, I seem to operate like that with creative projects. Like I, you just feel this thing that like it's needed. It needs to be created. And then you just kind of can't ignore that voice really. Now, with um, uh, Death is Life, the, your, your film, um, obviously one of the main characters uh, are the butterflies. Uh, has that inspired you to go on and make wildlife films? Or, you know, what, what is your inspiration in terms of filmmaking? Is it just a good story? Or um, might wildlife play uh, more roles in the future? I, I mean, I love nature. I'm so inspired by nature and... Um I think that I would. I, I hesitate saying that only because I'm really driven by people's stories. So I think if I can find a way like this butterfly film to like really weave together a human story with a nature story, I think that's my way of doing a wildlife film, you know? So I think if there was a chance to do that or if I came upon another story like this one or if someone came to me with one and we could work on it, like I would do it like that. I'm not sure that you know, I'm not a scientist. I'm not an expert on on certain species. I don't, I don't kind of aspire to be. But, um, but I do aspire to be a really good human storytelling storyteller. So, so if I can bridge the two, I would gladly make wildlife films because I absolutely love nature and I love everything about being outside and animals. And I think it's so important. But I also think it's so so important to to motivate people that aren't wildlife fans to get outside <laughs> and to look at the world around them. And the people, I live in a city, I live in London, and it's like, it's so important to get them to look out their flipping windows and go to a park and like, at least, at least with my film, like I can, I can play it to people that I know don't know anything about monarch butterflies and would never even look at a monarch butterfly film, but will watch this and be moved and be engaged and maybe, maybe research it and maybe go Google it and, um, that seems really important to me. Now, in terms of style, the, your movie um, <clears throat> has a beautiful uh, style to it where you hold the shots for a long time. Um, there's nice music in the background. Uh, I mean, beautiful music in the background. It, it, was that something you very much saw before you went out and filmed? W was that the style you were aiming for? Um, or was it something that just kind of happened once you got out and started filming, you realized that, you know, long shots um, would work in that kind of format? Um, that's definitely something that I wanted to do even before I started filming, because I think because of the, the subject matter, because I was talking about death and loss, and I wanted to have shots of nature that just let you think about the thing you had just heard. And I wanted it to have a pace that, I purposely wanted like a cinema just to slow down. Like we're all like at Mach 10 all the time on our phones, on Facebook, like we're like the one click generation and you're lucky to have like 15 seconds of someone's attention, you know, and I kind of wanted to make the opposite of that. And I don't know, you know, it might be at its detriment because every film now is like, it's like, such fast cuts and you know it's very different to that but on purpose for sure and um i i don't know i don't know if that's my style but um that's the style of this film definitely and that was very very intentional 
Now, in terms of distribution, are you, uh, can you just tell us a little bit about, you know, your distribution strategy, um, if you have one, or, you know, how much thought has gone into that? Where are you now in terms of getting the film out there? Okay, so, so okay, this is my first film, so or first big film, so I'm learning as I go. My, my thinking is you can either go to film school and read a bunch of books about it, or you can make a film and learn while you're making it. So I'm really learning while I'm making this. And I don't have a distribution strategy per se. I really want to get my hands on one just to see what it even looks like. But right now I'm doing the festivals. So that's my first distribution strategy is like trying to get it into as many festivals as I can. And then I'm starting to contact butterfly groups. And also it's got two two worlds this film can live in. It's like the butterfly nature group and then like the bereavement group and like loss and bereavement. So I'm kind of reaching out to both of those and seeing where people are interested and how they could maybe do screenings of their own. So I've been talking to these aggregators that you put your project on there and then they pitch it to Netflix or iTunes or Amazon for you if you don't have a distributor. So I've been talking to those guys and that'll be after the festival run kind of happens, that's the next step. Excellent, well I think um you know, there's many people out there who, uh, it's a big worry for us as filmmakers is what do we do once we make these films? And I think you hit the nail on the head that, you know, sometimes it's best just to go ahead and do it and learn as you go. And um, if you wait for the right time, as we said earlier, or you wait for the money to be there, or you wait for a, a channel or a network to come along and tell you they want it, you're going to be waiting forever. So getting out and actually just filming and doing it and at least having your production laid out in a way that you know what you're making then hopefully the rest will come um you know with a lot of hard work it's not easy it's a lot of lot of hard work so can i I just say something about that i mean and you'll know i mean i've I've met people who have channels give them money to go make a film right so they'll you know some network will say yeah go make this documentary they spend years making it and then they don't run it (laughs) And then they don't own that film, so they've spent all these years making it, they've edited it, everything, and then the channel, for some reason, doesn't want to run it. The filmmakers still, I think they still get paid, but their film doesn't get out there, and they don't own it, so it's like, that's three years or two years of someone's work, that's kind of just, so that's not, that's not something to wait around for either, like, just because, you know, Nat Geo says, yeah, we want to help you make your film, doesn't mean they're going to run it. <laughs> so, I'm a real, like, advocate of like especially first films and second films like just own them and like make them yourself and don't be afraid of like self-distributing like there's some amazing resources for that and I, I think it's it's worth saying there that it doesn't have to be I mean you used an Arri Alexa I, I believe to film and it's a, it looks beautiful um, it's a great camera but as we saw the other night with Josh Fox's new film, um, it was filmed on a smaller handycam style camera, consumer camera. Um, it, it's not about the gear. It doesn't have to look incredible. You know, it, it really depends on the style you're going for and, and really just getting out there and making something happen. I, I believe uh, Tangerine, the movie that came out this year, was filmed on iPhones. Yeah. And it was national release or international release around the world. And, and it's being, um, you know, heralded it is this fantastic movie because it was shot on an iPhone. Well, if you can go and do that with an iPhone, then really anything is possible, right? So as a new filmmaker, um, what would be a couple of bits of advice that you could give to other filmmakers, up and coming filmmakers, new filmmakers, um, to help them along the way to get started? 
Uh, I would, what would I say? And I probably would say this to a seasoned filmmaker too, but um, I guess the first one is just like hang on to that passion. Like there's a passion somewhere inside you to tell this story. Like there's something inside you that believes in this and no one is going to believe in it like you do. And it's that belief that's going to convince other people to help you. So it's the way that you talk about your story. It's the way that you keep going, even though you get so many no's in this business. You just keep going. You're just going to keep making it. Like, you got to keep that passion so alive and, like, and really listen to it. That's my first piece of advice. And the second would be to ask for um, advice and ask for help. Like, as I think, even if you're, you know, some hotshot filmmaker, like, you don't know everything, and people want to help, and when you're starting out, especially making your first or second film, like, people want to help you. You'd be surprised, like, how much time people gave me, and this because I asked, <laughs> you know, sometimes I was a little bit annoying, but sometimes it's just like, just, you ask, and, like, you don't pretend you know, just say you're making your first film, and, like, how, you know, I was, like, what is Final Cut? You know, what What do I edit on? Like, what? I didn't know cameras. I got lucky to get that camera, but I was ready to shoot it on my iPhone if I needed to. And like, I just have asked every step of the way, and I think people really appreciate that, and people really want to help first-time filmmakers. So, so just don't be afraid to ask people. And finally, you have a uh, a quote on your uh, your publicity material from Danny Boyle, the director, which um, is fantastic. You're a new filmmaker, and you've got Danny Boyle endorsing your film. Um, tell me, how did you get that? How did you get Danny Boyle to give you a quote? <laughs> the Danny Boyle story. Um, so one of the side effects of my this brain injury that I had was like I get tired really easily. And that afternoon I was really tired and I didn't want to go to this um, barbecue. But um, I rallied and I went and there was this man sitting next to me and he's saying smart stuff. And I was like, oh, you sound like a smart man. I've got a question for you. And um, we got talking and we were talking for like 45 minutes about all sorts of stuff. And then I told him about my accident and I told him I was making this film. And um, he's like, oh, I just spoke at a film festival in Mexico. And I said, oh, that's the one of the ones I want to get into. And he was like, well, maybe I can introduce you. And I said, that would be great. And he said, why don't you, um, what's, he said, give me your email. And I said, well, you know what, why don't you send me an email? So then I've got yours and then I'll write you back. Cause I just know people don't write to you when they say they're going to. So he <laughs> takes out his phone and he puts my email in and then the, you know, he writes, send me your film. And as he hits send, I see it sending and it says from Danny Boyle. And I was like, oh my God, <laughs> I've just been talking to Danny Boyle for like 45 minutes. And I, so I sent him my film and um, it's in like less than a week, he got back to me and he watched it and we met up again and we talked about it and he was really impressed and supportive and I can't say we've got this like running dialogue we're not like buddies but like I've emailed him since and he's written back and I think that's that goes to like people want to help first-time filmmakers you know and and I think it's really good that I didn't know who he was because I didn't at all try and you know schmooze him I was just talking to this guy that seemed kind of smart I can't believe I said to Danny Boyle like you seem like a smart man it's kind of embarrassing, but um, you just never know like who's going to be where. And I wasn't even going to go to that barbecue because I was tired that day, but I'm so glad I went. 
Well, that's a truly fantastic story. And, um, and I think it just goes to show, don't be afraid to talk about your work with anyone because you never know sometimes who you're speaking to. And um, that obviously paid off dividends. So thank you, Ali, for being on the show. That's fantastic. Um, really a wonderful film that you've made. I really, really enjoyed it. And um, if uh, for the viewers out there, I think if they go to your website, and actually I'll let you, I'll let you explain your website to them. I believe you've got a sign-up sheet. So uh, in the future, when it has distribution, uh, people be able to find it tell us about that very quickly yeah so if you go to um deathislife.co.uk at the bottom there's just an email sign up and i don't send emails out a lot like once or twice once a month or every two months um but i just tell people news and also like i kind of i kind of share the road of becoming a filmmaker so i think it might be really relevant to whoever is listening because i'm you know my first festival my first like trying to get funding i, I share all that so if you sign up for that um, you'll get those those emails. That's fantastic. I didn't know. So I'm going to sign up immediately when we get off the interview here. Um, again, thank you so much for uh, for being here today and talking with us. And um, that's some really valuable information there for people thinking about getting into the filming industry and uh, starting their new film. So thanks again. If you've enjoyed this episode of the Master Wildlife Filmmaking Podcast, then please leave a rating and a comment. And remember to subscribe to keep up to date with the series. You can find out more information on wildlife filmmaking at masterwildlifefilmmaking.com, where you'll find valuable free resources like downloadable reports and video tutorials. Thanks for listening.